We have this amazing lady once again. I'm always excited to hear what she brings because I know she hears from the Lord. So we thank you, Lord, for this wonderful lady that you speak to so clearly. And Father, I just thank you for her. I thank you for the word that you've placed in her and that she's going to share with us, Lord. So bless her. Fill her with your favor, with your Holy Spirit, and let us hear. Open our eyes, ears, body, mind, and spirit, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. What a beautiful, beautiful day. It's wonderful. Okay, today I'm going to talk to you about distractions. How many of you have been distracted recently? Okay, this is going on and that's going on, the other thing's going on, and I just can't, distractions, I just, I can't focus. There's two scriptures well, there's more than two, but two that I want to focus on today. And the first one is from Revelations 19, verse 10. And at the end of that verse, it says this. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, we've heard that one before, haven't we? And what does it mean? It means that when people are talking about Jesus and what he's done for them, it's also a prophecy that they can take for themselves, the hearers can take for themselves and apply it to their lives. If Jesus has done that for you, he can do that for me. That's what that means. So the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So hang on to that one. And the second one, and this is the one that I'm going to really talk about, is from Acts chapter 8 verses 5 through 8, and this is from the Message Bible. Now, going down to a Samaritan city, Philip, the apostle, proclaimed the message of the Messiah. When the people heard what he had to say and saw the miracles, the clear signs of God's action, they hung on his every word. Many who could neither stand nor walk were healed that day, and the evil spirits that were present protested loudly as they were sent on their way and what joy there was in the city. Can you imagine the screams and hollers and yells and whoops that, that the evil spirits are putting out when they're being told, go away? But I would have loved to have been there. The phrase, they hung on his every word, is what I want to pay particular attention to today. In the King James Version, it says this, and the people with one accord... gave heed to those things which Philip spoke, and hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. They hung on his every word. They were with one accord, and they all paid heed. The idea being conveyed here is that all the people in the crowd were listening with all of their attention. Why? Just a few verses before this, Luke, who was the writer of the book of Acts, was explaining that Saul who became Paul after his transformation on the road to Damascus, had been going about all of the territory, harassing and persecuting any and all believers in Jesus and throwing them into prison. So now here along comes Philip, and he's teaching them more about who Jesus was. Now remember that Jesus had already met the Samaritan woman at the well, and he told her all about her life, and then she took the message of the Messiah back to her city. So the Samaritans had some knowledge of Jesus already. But in the meantime, they heard what Paul was doing in his persecutions so that we can imagine that their curiosity was running really high when Philip comes along after the resurrection. They were determined to hear more about what Jesus, 
about this Jesus who Philip was saying had been raised up out of the tomb alive after he was already dead. Now, wouldn't you want to be listening to that too? They might have been saying to themselves, remember, Fotini had said this Jesus was the Messiah. And, well, if one of the Pharisees is putting all those who hear this message in prison, let's at least hear what they are being imprisoned for. Wouldn't you be all ears too? Now, some would say, no, no, no. If prison waits for the hearers, I don't want anything to do with that. But remember two things. First, Jesus had already been there and laid the groundwork. Hearts were already stirred from that visit. There was already a hungry atmosphere for more of a glimpse of the kingdom that was not Roman, not Jew, nor any other worldly power. And secondly, anything that was controversial concerning the Jews was and was causing them to be harassed was likely a great curiosity to the Samaritans. So they would really relish knowing what was going on. Psst, did you hear what that guy's doing over yonder with those Jesus believers? Oh, I want to go hear more. I want to hear more. So they were primed and ready to listen. Now, for a little bit more background here, when Jesus sent out the disciples two by two in Matthew chapter 10, he told them not to go to Samaria. Then later, just before his ascension into heaven, he commanded them to go. What's the difference? Why was there a difference there? I think it was because Jesus was acting in the office of prophet to the Jews during his lifetime. He was sent to correct the theology that had become twisted over the centuries from the original intent of God towards his people. Remember in the Gospels how many times Jesus said, You have heard it said, but I say unto you. He was correcting things that had gotten twisted and skewed and mauled around. He was preparing them for the new covenant. The new covenant between God and all the earth, not just the Jews. Now, they remain his chosen people. And they are the living reminder that God still has a hand in the earth. That he keeps his promises, especially the ones made to Abraham all those thousands of years ago. He's still in the promise-keeping business. That's who God is. When he promises something, he continues it and continues it and continues it until he's done with it. Okay? But through the death and resurrection of Jesus, a whole new dimension was added. The rest of the world was now grafted into the line of Abraham, adopted by God himself and elected to become recipients of those promises as joint heirs of both the Abrahamic descendants and from Jesus himself. I love that I love that verse where it says that we are the elected. There was a vote and God elected us. He voted and he elected us. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> I think that's really cool. Now, through all of their history, the Samaritans had been taught that they were no part of the Jewish covenant. They worshiped the same God, but their practices were totally different. They were ostracized by the Jews as being inferior. There was division. There was animosity, and it ran both ways. I mean, it was the Samaritans and the Jews, and they all, both sides didn't like the other one. 
So when Philip comes along speaking about the inclusivity that Jesus offers, they wanted to hear more about it. Not only did they want to hear more about it, they hung on his every word. They shut their ears to anything else going on in that place. They paid attention. They listened. They absorbed what was being said. They didn't allow any distractions to draw their attention away. Their attention was so captured that all they could think about was Philip's words, his personal testimony of being with Jesus, and the miracles that he had witnessed as one of the original 12 disciples, and also as the Samaritans focused without any distraction on the incredible story that their faith was stirred in the power of God and his love and mercy. And remember the other verse that we were talking about, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy? As Philip's talking about the stuff that Jesus did during his lifetime, miracles started happening. One person may have heard about the healings of the lame people. And his faith was stirred So he, as he heard about Jesus' miracle working power and he began to walk without help. Another may have heard about how Jesus healed the blind people. And his faith was increased to the point where he could see. These Samaritans were not distracted by things that didn't make any difference. They were focused on the things that impacted their own lives. They were focused on the power to change things that rested in and on the name of Jesus. They hung on his every word, both Philip's testimony and the words of Jesus as Philip taught them. So what's that got to do with us today? I mean, that's a wonderful Bible story, Mary, but what's, what's that got to do with us today? Time after time, we see that the word of God goes out and people hear it, but nothing happens. Why is that? Did not God say in Isaiah 55, 11, that his word would never come back to him empty and void, that it would accomplish the thing that he sended to do, that he intended for it to accomplish? Didn't he say that? I think the answer lays in the words, Come back to him. Just like Julie said last week. We hear the words of our Father, but we get distracted by other things. Like Jesus taught in Mark 4. And he says, The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. We get distracted. We don't take the words of the Father back to him. So we stop asking, we stop seeking, we stop knocking. We let these other things enter in to our spirits and it distracts us from the promises that God has already spoken. Then we get complacent and we start whining. Oh, good things come to those who wait, so I guess I just haven't waited long enough. Do you know that that's not a scripture? How many of you thought that it might have been a scripture? It's not. It's supposed to be an encouragement based on the virtue of patience, but what it actually does is distract us from actively pursuing the promise that we have from God. Yes, we must be patient while we're waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises, but we don't just hang it all up. We hang on his every word. We need to keep ourselves reminded of his promises. We do not need to get distracted by circumstances or time. Remember Abraham and Sarah? 
they waited patiently on the promise from God of a son till they were both well past childbearing age. But they kept the word of God that he had given to them in the forefront of their minds <laughs> until they got the harebrained idea to use a human action to make that promise come true. Dumb idea. They got distracted. Sometimes we get distracted by an easy way out. We do this attitude of just enough to get by and think we've got it all made. We say to ourselves, oh, church at Easter and Christmas, that's good enough. God knows my heart. I don't need church every Sunday. Ouch. <laughs> we get distracted by the human flaws of other people. Oh, all those churchy people, they're all hypocrites. We all sin. Yes, we do. That's why we need church. And we get distracted by feelings of being judged. I don't need some highfalutin preacher meddling in my business all the time. How many of you have heard that one? Uh-huh. But the people in Samaria from our scripture did not let themselves get distracted by any of that. They hung on every word that Philip spoke. Enough so that there were mighty healings and deliverances in that place and great joy hung over the city. Do we want a great joy to hang over Slough, over our neighborhoods, our country, and the world? Yes, of course we do. Then we need to stop letting ourselves get distracted by the world's nonsense and cling to and hang on to every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is the format that Jesus used with his enemy. In Matthew 4 it says, But he answered the devil and he says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Where is that written? In Deuteronomy chapter 8, in the, almost in the very beginning. So from the very beginning of time until the end of time, it is written, Man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If we want to apprehend and catch and grab and hold on to the promises of God, we need to stop allowing ourselves becoming distracted by that shiny bauble or that juicy steak or that red squirrel. <laughs> and we do that, don't we? We need to be like Paul when he says in Romans chapter 8, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But are we persuaded enough? We sing that song with the words, I'm desperate for you. But are we? Are we actually persuaded strongly enough to be able to take the position of an immovable object when we're asking God for things? Are we desperate for a move of God? Are we desperate enough to be like these Samaritans who hung on every word of faith that we hear? Are we like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from Daniel chapter 3? These three guys answered the king Nebuchadnezzar, Your threats mean nothing to us. If you throw us in the fire, the God that we serve can rescue us from your roaring furnace and anything else you might cook up, O king. But even if he doesn't, it wouldn't make a bit of difference. We still wouldn't serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you set up. Are we persuaded like that? 
that no matter what comes, we're not going to stop worshiping our Lord. We also sometimes get distracted by our own hearts. In James chapter 1, verse 6, it talks about this He said when he says this, But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven by the wind and tossed around. And do not doubt. Now that word in the Greek, doubt, means to differ or to be at variance with your own self. In other words, your mouth might be saying all the right words, but your heart is not really in agreement. And until you get your heart and your mouth in agreement, you're not really asking in faith. Your mouth and the words, but the heart's not with it. But once you get those things aligned, then you stand there. You stand on the promise that you have from God. You don't waver. You don't back down. You don't get distracted by everyday life or unfavorable circumstances. <laughs> There's a story of the guy, and I've told this one before and I love it. There's a story of the guy who went to heaven and his guardian angel was showing him all around when they came to a room that was filled to the ceiling with brightly wrapped gifts. When he asked the angel what that was all about, the angel said this. These were all the gifts that the father wanted to give to you. Answers to all your prayers. But you stopped asking for them the day before they were supposed to be sent to you. Ouch. I don't want my gifts to be stopped. <laughs> I'm going to keep asking, okay? You never give up on what God has promised you. Never give in. Never back off. And never back down. I hear some of you saying, uh, but, but what, if, uh, what if it's not God's will? Well, let me answer you with two things from Jesus' own example. In Luke chapter 11, it goes like this. And Jesus said to them, Which of you has a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say, Friend, let me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. And the guy from within shall say, Don't trouble me now. The door is now shut. My kids are in bed with me and I can't get up and give you anything. That's Mary Porter paraphrase, by the way. Then Jesus said, though he will not rise and give him because he's his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as much as he needs. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given, seek and you will find, knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone that asks receives, and he that seeks finds, and to him that knocks it shall be opened. Now that ask and seek, Excuse me, ask and seek and knocks, those are continuing verbs. If you keep on asking, if you keep on seeking, if you keep on knocking, it will be open to you. The other example is from the wedding feast at Cana, when Mary asked Jesus to do something, but he says, It's not my time. When he sees her faith in his ability to answer the need, not because she's his mother, but because of her faith, he performs his first public miracles. It was her faith in his ability that caused that to happen. You see, in both of these examples, and they're just two from the scriptures, that show this kind of steadfast faith, that when the irresistible force of our faith meets the immovable obstacle that seems to be blocking our blessing, Faith will move that mountain 
if we don't allow ourselves to be distracted from what we believe God has promised us. So what has God promised you? Which of his words are you hanging on to for dear life? As you pray, check out the distractions that try to persuade you to stop praying for them. For those are probably the very things that the enemy is trying to use to prevent you from receiving what God has promised. There's another set of scriptures that I want to use here. It's from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 through 18. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your girts, your girts? <laughs> having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, take the shield of faith, wherewith you'll be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, why do we need all that armor? What's it there for? Remember that when you see a wherefore, there, it's therefore. You've got to go back and find out what it's there for. In verse 18, it says this is why we need the full armor of God. So that we can be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. And watching thereto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. That's why we put on the armor of God. So that we can pray. So that we can pray for ourselves. So that we can pray for our brothers and sisters in the church. So that we can pray for Christians everywhere. So that we can pray for the persecuted. So that we can pray for our families. That's why we need the armor of God. To stop the enemy from lying to us. To stop the enemy from stopping our blessings. That's why we need the armor of God. You see, we're not only charged with praying for our needs, but we are also charged with praying for the needs of our fellow Christians and for all people that God loves. And who is that? How about everybody? Amen? One last thought. As Julie prayed last week, or preached last week, we do not want to tempt God by asking for foolish and nonsense things. But I want to give you a good biblical position to stand on when making these kinds of requests. So let me share a couple of other scriptures that, that back up Jesus' own stance. In Psalm 37, it talks about the contrast between the wicked and the godly people. And in verses 4 and 5, it says this, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way unto the Lord, and trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Now that's two-way street there. When we delight ourselves in the Lord, he will place within us the desire for good and godly things. Then he will fulfill those desires. How many times have we come through life and we thought, oh, I really like that kind of movie. You know, I, I really like car chases and, and shoot them up and bang them up and kill them and knock them dead things. And then when we come to the Lord and he starts filling our heart, we go, oh, you know, I'm not sure, sure I like that anymore. He will fill us with his own desires. When we make him our delight, he will put his delight within us. And then he will fulfill those desires. And the second scripture is from Malachi chapter 3 verse 10. Now I'm going to get a little bit 
squirrely here. Not, not really squirrely, but you'll see what I mean in a minute. Malachi 3.10, this is where the prophet is admonishing the people to bring their tithes into the temple. He's talking about their income, their living. But let's not think in terms of money, but let's think in terms of the amount of incoming word that we bring into our lives. Remember that we live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And the scripture says this, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house. Now, I'm going to stop there a second. Who's his house? Who is God's house? We are. What is the meat that Jesus said was his? Doing the will of the Father. God goes on, and prove me now with this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there will not be room enough to receive it. If we only bring one-tenth of the word that we receive back to him, what kind of explosive answers to our prayers and petitions can we expect? He says, bring me now the tithes and see if I won't open the windows of heaven. If we tithe the words that we hear, that we bring in, that we read, if we tithe that and take it right back to God, what kind of an explosive answer to prayer are we going to get? What do you think? You think that's going to be something spectacular? Amen. Never give up. Never give in. Hang on to every word that comes out of the mouth of God as though your very life depended on it, for it does. Do not get distracted. Maintain your focus on the petition and the promise that you have before the Lord. You get a promise from the Lord and you drive a stake deep into that promise. You lash yourself to it with your faith and you use the sword of the Spirit, the word of God's promises, to dismantle any opposition and you stand there. You don't move. And then... Learn to recognize the answers when they come. Don't be foolish. Don't be like the guy who was a new believer who was caught in a flood. And he had to climb up on the top of his house, up on the rooftop, to keep from drowning. He was up there praying, Lord, save me, Lord, save me, Lord, save me. And he had faith that God could do so. Along comes a rowboat, and the man at the oars cried out for the guy to climb down and be saved. The guy refused and said, no thanks, no thanks. I'll wait on the Lord to rescue me. So the rowboat went on by. Next, a helicopter hovered over the roof, and the pilot cried out for the man to grab the rope to be saved. No thank you, the man said. I'll wait on the Lord to rescue me. A huge wave came along and washed the man away, and he drowned. When he met the Lord at the entry to heaven, he cried, Lord, why didn't you do anything to save me? The Lord answered, who do you think sent the lifeboat and the helicopter? (laughs) You see, when the more time that you spend hanging around on his every word without distractions, the better you will be able to recognize the answers to your prayers when they actually do come. Get in the word. Stay in the word, hear the word, speak the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. We live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. The word of God is our weapon to destroy any and all distractions. 
So you bring your promises to the Lord and watch him move on your behalf. Amen? All right, praise the Lord. Father, I thank you that you've given us this word today that we don't get distracted. Father, help us to keep our attention focused on you. Help us to keep our attention focused on the promises that you have given to us, both in the word and in our spirit and in our worship time and prayer time. Lord, you have said that you that we are your children and you give good gifts to your children. So, Father, I ask that you help us to believe that, to work on that, to act on that, to actually just spend our lives hanging on that very word. In Jesus' name, amen.